Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jess. And we are two internet friends exploring the intersection of independent business and rails. Welcome to Indie Rails. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, we got some good questions on Twitter. Maybe like one of the biggest ones out of this list that Eli sent us. He says, getting started in general, if you were to start over with no skills and experience, how would you approach doing it all over again? If that's what I'd be looking for, that's what I would want to know about from other people. I was thinking about something that I said on a previous episode. I think it was with Joe. And I said, if I'd have known then what I know now, I wouldn't have started. And I think that could be looked at as two different ways. I didn't mean that I wished I hadn't started. I mean that I think I would have been so overwhelmed by all the stuff that I didn't know that I would have been too afraid to start. Yeah. Curse of knowledge. Yeah. And so it it helps actually to kind of be a little naive when you get started in a business, I think, because if you nitpick all the dangers and all the hardships and everything that you have to go through, then you might not start it. But the way I started was completely fresh. I didn't know hardly anything except for just some general web development. And I think there's some advantages to that. (laughs) Some of it is that you are sort of naive and you kind of grow and feel your way along. But there's parts of me that had wished that I had maybe worked at an agency or, or something similar to get some experience with how do you find clients and like how much should I be charging and how long should these types of tasks take, that sort of thing. So I really don't know the answer to that question. I think it probably fits your personality. If you're a little more conservative and you want to feel more confident, then it probably does make sense to start like at a junior position somewhere at another firm and get some experience or you start trying to pick up some side jobs, start like easy. Don't bite off more than you could chew. Find a client that you can spend a couple hours a day, 10 hours a week, something like that, and work your way to gaining more confidence. And then you just bootstrap it and grow from there. What about you? What were you thinking? So I think I had a probably similar experience to you, like that I started working on my own pretty early, or at least on very small teams or teams of one for companies. So I've been an in-house developer, many times solo developer, and then freelancing, usually just on my own. But if I had to go back and tell earlier Jeremy, you know, Jeremy 20 years ago, like some advice, I think one of the biggest things I would say is, Go get a job, probably in an agency. If you want to do solo dev work, get a job in an agency where you can, number one, build your skills with more senior people to mentor you. One of the biggest things that I had to do was just like figure everything out myself. And I'm really thankful for Railscasts and all kinds of video and blog posts, resources. Thoughtbot's blog was huge for me early on when I was learning Rails. So I consumed a lot of content and learned a lot from the great sharing culture in the Ruby and Rails community. But I also made it more difficult for myself by choosing jobs where I was working alone. So I think I missed out on the leveling up that can happen both from having good senior people over you or even just people that you pair with. On the times that I've been on teams, even after years of doing development on my own, the few times that I've been on a team with some other developers, I've learned so many things from them, just reading their PRs or just talking to them about things or getting feedback on my own PRs. And that 
accelerated growth. It's just so much faster than working on your own, or at least I think that's probably the case. The other benefit to working at an agency would be that you get an exposure to a number of different kinds of clients and a number of different industries. So if you are looking to build an indie business, whether it's client services or products, you're exposed to a wider range of different kinds of customers as opposed to like working in-house. You're getting a wider range of potential customers or clients and then a wider range of problems that need to be solved in various industries. And somewhere in there, you're going to find something, an offering that you could have. But meanwhile, you're building development skills on the job, on a team. And the last thing is, for many years, I wasn't sure that I was going to stick the indie route. And even now, there are times where I'm like, well, maybe I should just pack it up and go get a job. The thing that really hamstrung me, though, was I never built a network early on. That's another thing that I wish I could tell Jeremy 20 years ago. It would be like, hey, you need to go work in larger companies, even if you don't love it. But just for the fact that you'll make friends and a lot of those people, as they move on to other jobs, you will know them instead of working kind of in isolation and obscurity for years and years. And then when you pop up and need something, no one knows you. (laughs) It makes it so much harder. And there are a lot of reasons why it can be really fun to work alone. I really enjoy working and learning alone, but there are these major advantages, I think, especially early in your career. To working on teams, working with people that are more senior than you and getting exposure to a, a larger range of projects and challenges. That reminds me of something else I've been thinking about the word indie. We talk about a lot and that doesn't always mean that you work in a silo or by yourself because you typically really depend on a lot of people, whether it's your customers, clients, or other contractors working on a team through other businesses. So you don't have to think indie is just working solo in a silo. Yeah, that's true. I definitely agree with you about working on things on the side. If you have this job, but your goal is to eventually go out on your own, taking some cracks at either your own products or service offerings that you could have outside in a smaller scale. But while you still have stability, I don't know that it's financially wise to jump in, you know, if you've got to make an income to be at the junior or early career stage as a developer or as someone that's trying to build a business to just jump full time into that. It's going to be much safer, less risky for you to have a job that hopefully doesn't take everything out of you. Hopefully you've still got some time in the nights and weekends to build some things or to work on some client work, but get something outside of that work. And that can happen at if you're working on an in-house team or agency or or whatever, provided it's not a job that's just squeezing everything out of you, taking all of your creative capacity and all of your problem solving. Evening rolls around, you you still got some brain cycles left to work on some things that are meaningful to you. Being in the creator economy, whether you're a developer or a designer or a writer or whatever, it just offers the most flexibility. And it's such a great opportunity to stick your toe in the water and test things out with side projects. There's nothing like it. If you fail at it, either fail in the marketing or the closing sales or even in the projects, it's not the end of the world. You haven't lost a job. You learn something valuable, hopefully, and you can come back and try again. So I think that's really important. I freelanced for a while in my 20s. 
just project-based freelancing. And I just had a lot of really rough projects. And at that time, it was super stressful because married with maybe one or two kids, probably one at that time. And it was very stressful having that weight of responsibility and while also learning the hard way on a lot of lessons with client services. So if you can avoid some of that stress, that can be really helpful. If you can make mistakes on a smaller scale or learn those things like on the side in a way that doesn't impact your main source of income, I think that can be really helpful. Actually, it's funny that this topic comes up because I've come across it in two separate areas recently. Actually, just this morning, I was reading Daniel Velasso's new newsletter called Small Bets. Yeah. And the title of the newsletter was Cattle, Not Pets. And he was talking about treating your projects as cattle, not pets. You really shouldn't focus in on one like pet project because it narrows your focus too much and you forget about the rest of the field. And there's lots of opportunity if you have multiple streams of income you aren't set on getting income from just that one approach. And if it doesn't work out, there's less emotional investment. Yeah. Emotional investment too. Yeah. And so I thought that was really a good way to look at it. And that's something that I've been wanting to do recently that I've been thinking more about because I'd say probably 90% of my income comes from consulting income. So diversifying that makes a lot of sense. And there's another book that I'm reading always kind of cringe a little bit when I say the title, but it's called How to Get Rich. You may have heard it. It's a pretty popular book. It's by a guy named Felix Dennis. He was born in the UK. I guess he's probably most known for, he's a magazine publisher, published Maxim Magazine, but he got his start in magazine publishing, like when computer magazines were getting really popular back in the late 80s and 90s. Computer Shopper, I think that was his magazine. But he was talking about this same concept in part of the book. He actually got his very first start. He wrote a book on Bruce Lee and he was writing the book. They were just getting into it. They interviewed him and got a bunch of interviews with people around him. And then like two weeks later, he died. And they quickly published the book and it just blew up. Bruce Lee's death was somewhat of a conspiracy theory. There was a lot of questions around his death. So it was just very much talked about worldwide and they published a book just in a few weeks and it just went viral, basically. He talked about how he should have published a second book right after that very quickly while things were hot. And he didn't because he fancied himself as a biographer. He was like just really emotionally invested in being like this great writer when he really should have been focused on the business and diversifying that income and not getting too tied up in his pride of being that biographer. And he said he did the same thing later on in his life when he focused too much on being a magazine publisher. And he said he missed out on a lot of opportunities that he should have been privy to because he was publishing computer magazines and he should have saw the oncoming software revolution and so much that was coming down the pipeline. He said he should have gotten that business, but he didn't because he thought of himself too much of a great publisher. And sometimes I feel like I get in the way of myself that way as well, because I get too wrapped up in being a great developer or something along those lines. And I miss opportunities to do other income streams. Yeah, it feels like part of that is also defining what success looks like for you. Because it may be like, in his case, From a financial standpoint, it would make the most sense to do a follow-up book. But like, if that's not the artistic or creative endeavor he wanted because he wanted to explore other 
historic figures or something like that, you have to accept that you'd be losing out on the financial benefit of riding the wave there. Yeah, he said he could have easily got somebody to ghostwrite it for him and he could have just pumped it out, had it done, and it would have just been another big hit. But he wanted to handle it himself. I relate to that. Like, I have a lot of idealism. Like, this is the way things should be. And I don't care if I don't make money at it. I just want the world to work this way or I want this to be in the world in a certain way. I've been really dogmatic about that kind of thing in the past and like limited myself in ways that I wouldn't nowadays. Even for a long time, you know, I'd say like, oh, I'm never going to move my family for a job. For years, I had that as almost like a hill to die on. Something you stood on. Yeah. There were some things that were admirable about that, but it wasn't necessary. And as I look at it now, I see ways that it kind of hobbled me career-wise. So I don't know. I'm trying to hold those things more loosely, but it is important to know like what you're aiming at. Is your aim to only build products or services that have a certain level of polish in the world, even if you don't make a profit? Or is your goal to reach a certain level of financial success? And how do you rank those things for yourself? What can you live with not getting? And what can't you live with not getting? That's going to make a lot of decisions for you. Back to the small bets. Another part of that newsletter he was talking about. I don't know if it was the author or if it was Daniel, but he was saying that he invests in several different revenue streams. And one of them is real estate for long term and then still does consulting. So he sells his time for money. But then he also has courses that produce income. And then he has software products that produce income. And he said a couple of those, he still does have a few pets, his personal website, some of his software, those are his pets. So it sounds like maybe just having a balance of those is a good idea. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you could really treat some projects as, well, this is the thing that I have a passion for. I don't care if it's maximized in terms of revenue or financial gain or something like that. But other things that you have less attachment to that way. and can be more like you're just kind of taking advantage of the market opportunities or things like that. My experience has been that it's easier to sell services than build and try to sell products. It's not even debatable. It's not, yeah. Service is it's simple in the sense that it's, you trade time for money, but you get cash up front. It's not easy, but it is simple. But building product is a long-term investment. Several years ago, when I started doing my long-term retainer projects and things like that, working for myself, I looked at that as a necessary evil and that my end goal was to build products, to have these passive streams of income or whatever, and that I'd get out of client services. And it, after maybe eight years or so, I realized I actually like client services. And it's really funny because for a long time, I just felt like, I don't like this. I'm just doing it because I have to. But I got to a point where I realized, number one, you're always serving people in work. You can serve one person that's a client, or you can serve thousands of customers in a smaller way by building a product. But you're always serving people. And there's a part of me that was like, I'm annoyed by having to deal with client requests or like the frustrating things about a client or the way they want to do things. That you just like, ah, this is dumb. But when I build products, I can do it my way. Right, right. The reality is, you're still serving people, which means you're going to have to compromise. You're going to have to compromise your vision and how you want things done. And I feel like there was a time period where like, you almost were shamed if you're working 
encouraged clients instead of like, well, I build a product and you're still doing these client services. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It felt like I haven't arrived or I haven't done enough or that's still like small potatoes or something. I think I've come around to, I really like this. I'm serving people no matter what. This way I can have a large influence on a small number of people and I can get kind of deep into the needs that they have and kind of be beside them as they work on their business. And that's fun. I really like that. But it took a long time to get to a place where I felt good about it, where I didn't sort of scorn that work. And it also took failures in building products to take a couple of swings and miss, you know, where I realized, oh, you know, maybe I don't have the best idea of what this market needs, or maybe my ideas aren't as great as the clients I serve. And having a little bit more humility about that has made it easier to come back to client services and say, what else do I need to learn here about building products? What do I need to learn about how they satisfy their own customer needs? So I feel like I'm still in an education stage there. Well, I was just grinning because I remembered Matt Swanson's tweet where he says, if you want to get to 10K monthly recurring revenue, (laughs) get a job (laughs) or get a client. You could say the same thing. Yeah, yeah, you really could. I mean, there are times in life where you can take more risk or you're more ready to do hard things than others. If you just had a baby, if you're going through depression, if you got hit by a medical emergency, there's so many times where it's really helpful to have lower risk work that's reliable, steady, where you don't have to panic as much about what you're trying to do. And then there might be other times where you've got more margin and you can push really hard and not to the breaking point and take some of those bigger risks. If you are dead set on building product, then services is a great way to fund that. I listened to this guy called Nick Huber. He's local near me in Athens, Georgia, and he's in the real estate and storage business. And his Twitter handle is Sweaty Startup. That's how he kind of got popular, I think, is his whole stick is like, if you want to invest or own a business, you start with a sweaty startup. You find some services and, you know, it might be window cleaning or pressure washing or painting houses or cleaning houses, whatever. That's simple. It's easy. You start with that and you build reserves. You build cash to fund investing in other businesses later on. And along the way, I'm sure you also learn a bunch about how to sell to people. Operating sales, yeah. Yeah, how to do customer support, how to handle negative feedback, how to, yeah, just so many things that you have to learn all along the way. Yeah, which you can learn through development services doing that as well. Yeah, totally. I'm trying to stay in the indie world for the long haul. And so to do that, there are times where you need to diversify your risk so that you can absorb times in your life that are difficult or circumstances where you don't have enough work. My hope is my services work helps to build me back up to a place where I can take another swing at product work. But any one failure on the product side doesn't ruin me or send me back to just need to get a regular job again. I love what you said about there's a certain time to like really go for things, right? And it kind of reminds me of being CrossFit you will go in and some days you just don't feel like really going for it and you just go in and like do the workout. And then there's also sometimes when you do weightlifting, they'll say like build to a heavy one rep single. And some days you just 
you're not feeling it. And so you don't like try to beat your max, but like some days you're feeling on and you go for it and you try to get it. And it's probably that way for people in business too, or should be that way. When things are feeling good and you see opportunity, then you want to be in a position to go for it. But having a nice solid base to just rely on is good as well. Can you look back and see the times, like what did it look like for you when you were most ready to maybe take a risk on product? Picture like, what does it look like in your life? Maybe, maybe it's obvious. Maybe it's just like, it's the times where you're emotionally healthy, physically healthy. You've got some cash margins. I almost brought this up when we talked about if we had to do it over, what would we do differently? One thing that I sort of regret is, I guess I don't regret it. My kids are just getting to the point where they're not very young kids anymore and they don't require constant supervision. And I feel like during those years, it was a lot of that. Like my wife and I balancing raising our children and I wanted to be very present in their lives. And so, you know, I couldn't go all in a lot of times on business stuff. Looking back, I don't think I would change that, but I do see now that I do want to sort of grow my business instead of be on cruise control now that I have an opportunity to do that. Yeah, I agree. What I was going to say is that I feel like that's evidenced in like some of the steps that I've been taking this year. We're starting this podcast. I'm trying to go to more conferences. I'm trying to build a network of people to figure out like what project I'm going to work on next. I'm working with another person on the consulting projects, you know, so a lot of different irons in the fire at the moment. I think another thing I would do if I could go back is tell myself that I need to spend a significant amount of my time on marketing efforts and learning how to do marketing, learning about where to find customer needs that I could fill. I focus so much of my attention on development and trying to build the perfect product that I would like. That's the fun part, right? Yeah, that's the fun part. That's the thing that, that I always wanted to do. You do that for yourself and you won't be able to keep going if you can't sell it. So I would spend more time trying to learn how to connect to other people, how to find market needs, how to sell to customers. And a lot of that would not have been fun for me, but they're necessary skills. And those are kinds of skills that you probably aren't going to get in a development job unless you're working at a very small company where you're close to marketing, sort of adjacent to those things. But even then, maybe not. You've got to like do it yourself. And that means spending more time in places where people are that have market needs. Like Twitter, I think is a perfect example of that. But it may also be Slack groups that you're part of. Finding people that have needs and then finding ways to meet those needs, I think is really important. I think I'm just now kind of backfilling that skill set for myself in hopes that I'll be better ready for the next time that I take a crack at product stuff. I guess looking at the range of things that you've got to be able to do as, as a indie Rails developer, there are some skills that you don't necessarily need and that can be outsourced. For me, one of the big ones is just accounting. I don't want to deal with that stuff at all. That's a no-brainer, I think, for most people. I did my bookkeeping and I think I did my taxes my first couple of years, but I started outsourcing my tax filings. And then it was just a, another year or so after that, I outsourced my bookkeeping too. And I just realized, hey, I'm missing more billing time from this than it cost me. If you're missing out on $1,500, $2,000 and you can pay an accountant to do it, sure, 
$800, then it's a no-brainer. Plus, you don't run the risk of doing something wrong and getting audited. There's a weird inflection point for me a few years ago where I realized my hourly rate had exceeded most of the services that I ever pay for, purchase accounting or anything else, right? And when that happens, it kind of switches your mind about all the things that it would be better for you not to do. Accounting is certainly one of those things. If your accountant charges hourly and you make a higher hourly rate, probably makes sense for you to just outsource that. But even like the guy who mows your yard and things like that too. For a long time, I didn't grow up that way. My dad did everything. So that's the mentality I grew up with and really have a lot of respect for my dad for all the things that he knew how to do and all the things he took care of by himself. But it didn't take that inflection point to be able to start outsourcing things. I think it would actually be smart at times, if you can, to outsource things like accounting or maybe other kinds of services so that you have more time. Even if your hourly rate is lower, sometimes it's still beneficial because there's an opportunity cost to doing all of those adjacent tasks to the main thing that you're trying to work on. And it's not just the work that you're getting done. It's also the experience you're getting at it and work begets work. And so if you want more accounting work, you're taken away from the work that you want to be building more of. So I think there's an opportunity cost there. So I think I would even say, even to my earlier self, don't wait just till your hourly rate exceeds your accountants, you know, or something like that. You need to do that earlier. And there might be some other areas like that. I don't know, I'm curious what you think about this, but in my mind, when it comes to things like sales and marketing, if I'm an indie dev, I want to do that myself. There's too much of it tied to me personally and things I need to know that I can't like adequately convey that or entrust that to someone else, at least until I know how to do it. There's like a certain number of skills that you have to do it yourself first before you can give it to somebody else. Because you're the one that needs to know what it looks like when it's being done right. And at least for accounting, I don't really care. It's just, I'm going to trust them, find a good account and just trust they're doing it right. But things like sales and marketing, I feel like I need to know what it looks like when it's done right. And then maybe I can pass that to someone else and say, here's what it looks like. And then be able to keep tabs on it to say, is this still matching what I would expect? And I would also encourage billing, do that yourself. I love what Rich Dad Poor Dad says. He says, mind your business. It means, you know, you need to stay on top of where's your revenue coming from? How are you spending your time? Am I being efficient with it? How did it compare to the last month? Am I growing? Am I not? And like, where do I get the best bang for my buck? What clients are working for me? So those kind of things, you really need to have a, a finger on. That's true. When you're working for yourself, no one's going to tell you to do that. No one's going to tell you to, okay, on, you know, once a month, take two hours and sit down and go back through your time tracking or look at your recent clients and say, like, look at your numbers and figure out what projects are working well for you and what should you maybe wind down and what should you try to get more of. Those are all things that you've got to be doing on your own. No one's going to tell you to do them. It's not even an obvious sort of service category, but it's making decisions for your business and thinking like a business. That's another big transition is like, Moving from thinking like a person just on your own doing work that someone assigns you to thinking like a business, even if it's still just you. All right. So we want to say thanks to Eli for reaching out, asking those questions. We hope this has been beneficial. And if you have any more, feel free to reach out and ask away. 
All right, Jeremy, what you've been working on? How's the conference planning going? Conference planning is going well. If you haven't heard before, I'm co-organizing a new Ruby conference. It's called Blue Ridge Ruby. It's going to be in Asheville, June 8th and 9th. And we're hoping to have about 150 to 200 attendees there. It's blueridgeruby.com. We'll be announcing our speakers starting March 15th as well. I've got a co-organizer, Mark Locklear. We've got a team of six or seven volunteers helping us. We've gotten a lot of CFP submissions. Evil Martians has sponsored us. We're looking at other sponsorships right now and just working on all those details and moving forward and trying to get ready for June. It's coming up quickly. How about you, Jess? You got anything? Nope. Just all pretty steady on the home front. So working and living life. Sounds good. All right. Well, enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>